Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series, loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Where do we go now is over. It's time to talk to Nassim. He's in the well. Where do we go now, Andy? Uh, this is once again part of our 10 year series and your anniversaries yes why why did we pick this one a uh, 10 10 years ago it was made no I, I mean i know that but there's like a bazillion movies that were made 10 years ago why did we choose this one <sighs> you ask this every time it's i i know because you're the one who is the encyclopedic memory of these things i i don't remember Basically, what happened is we we put a list of movies down, and we looked at the ones that had the highest ratings on probably IMDb, Letterboxd, those sorts of things, and said, okay, let's do these ones. I think we'd only heard of like two or three, so you know, we figured it would be a good opportunity to explore some films from uh, filmmakers from around the world that we with films we hadn't heard of before. And we sure did. This was a com- uh, complete uh, surprise on the list. Had not heard of it. Had not, it was not on my list at all. This was a completely new to me movie thanks to the next reel. So that's very exciting. Had you seen anything by Nadine Labaki before? I don't believe so. Had you? Are you a big Labaki head? <laughs> uh, yes. And I think we are coining that term and we need to make a shirt. <laughs> the the Labaki head. <laughs> Shirt, clearly. Um, I had only seen um, the film that she directed that was nominated for a um, Best Foreign Language Film Oscar in 2018, I think, called Capernaum. It was about a uh, a 12-year-old boy who's serving a sentence in jail who sues his parents for neglect, which led him to the place that he is. And it was an interesting film. Um, I, I, it was kind of a unique story. It wasn't my favorite of the nominees, but I still enjoyed the film. But I, I didn't go into it looking at it to see a Nadine Labaki film because I wasn't a Labaki head at the time. I guess maybe now I am a Labaki head, but I mean, it's, it certainly is an interesting film, definitely worth checking out. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was touching. I think she knows how to tell touching. Uh, stories about people so it's it's definitely worth checking out for people who enjoy this film you just outed yourself i can't believe you did it but you did it did i y- you yeah i was about to ask you what did you think of this movie or what did you think i think of this movie in preparation for telling you what you thought of the movie <laughs> but you said now you're a labaki head so you outed yourself and now i know and now there's no there's no I mean, as a storyteller, you should know that 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 sort of anticipatory conflict is is at the heart of story. And you just ruined it. But also one of the parts of, of story, especially thrillers, is twists and turns. And you just don't know. Are they actually saying what they mean or is there something else to that? story? 
<laughs> That's subversive. What do you think I thought? Of I think this more movie? film reviews need to be like this, where you is, are yeah. they telling the truth? Should I be are believing they, what they're, they're saying? Just, <laughs> everybody loves in their movie critics, unreliable narrators. <laughs> it's just a real favorite. What oh. did you think I thought of this movie? I think you enjoyed it. I don't think you loved it, but I think you found it to be an interesting story with interesting characters looking at a uh, a difficult type of conflict going on. I guess that's what I thought. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. I, I think you thought, oh, dear. I'm, I'm torn because I think that you, I think you really liked it. Uh, and I think you you obviously are a a Labaki head, a Labuk, uh, as we say, we shorten it. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think I, I do think that you will find quibbles in in the film. I think you will find quibbles, um, and and I, but I don't know I don't know why. <laughs> I just don't know why. All right. He says, spoil, spoiling his own opinion. That's right. Well, where do we go now? Uh, when it was released here in the U.S. was rated PG-13 for thematic drug material, some sensuality, and violent images. Do you want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, if you see an Apple or Amazon link to this movie in the show notes, just click on it. That will take you right to their site and you can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, we get a little tiny piece in return. We are featuring audio reviews from you when you send us your 30-second audio review to reviews at truestory.fm. Uh, once you watch the film, we might just showcase your voice on this show. We want to do more of them. Send them in. Send them in. We've got, we've started receiving them, but for, they're for movies months down the road. You know, check us out. Check out our, our, uh, our upcoming watch list uh, over on Letterboxd, and uh, you'll be able to see what's coming up so you can get your review in on time. We really, really want to hear your voices on the show. Again, reviews at truestory.fm. And like Pete said, if you want to find that list, it's in our HQ page over in Letterboxd. That's letterboxd.com. And if you want to get a discount on your pro or patron membership, just use the discount code NEXTREAL, or you can go to the nextreel.com slash letterboxd, and you'll get that 20% off. And it works for renewals as well. And if you haven't explored it and you, you think, hey, I'm, I'm listening to this podcast right now, but it would have been really great if I could listen to it two weeks ago when it was actually recorded. We actually have a way to do that. Uh, you could join us as a supporting member of the Next Real Family of Film Podcasts at truestory.fm. And once you become a member, you get access to our live stream recordings. You get access to the super secret channels in our Discord community. You get just that warm feeling of supporting independent podcasts along with all of those fantastic bonus episodes, live streams, and the community. Uh, so uh, check out check out what comes with that uh, with the membership stuff. It's really great, and and bonus episodes, right, Andy? Bonus episodes. Bon oh boy, I, I tell you, I feel like I'm buried in bonus episodes right now. You're buried in bonus episodes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the at the time we're recording this, our monthly flick chart re ranking episode just came out, and we've got our. Our um, later at the end of the month, we'll have our mem member bonus episode. It's going to be a uh, the members voted, and it is a return to our Spike Lee series. We're going to be looking at his film Malcolm X, and so that will be coming out at the end of the month. So yeah, I mean, just every month, got a, you know the flick chart re ranking. We got a member bonus episode. 
Plus, we got a retake episode that we do at the end of each series. Uh, just so much stuff. So many. It's episodes. just a lot. It's a real tapestry. A real tapestry. Uh, so, uh, but check it out. TrueStory.fm slash TNR membership to learn more about the membership tiers. Most will cost you is five bucks a month or fifty-five bucks a year. Where do we go now, Andy? Poor Nassim. Poor Nassim. <laughs> you know, Nassim the, in the, well. the thing about Nassim, the thing about just in general, this movie, it, it is a fascinating setting, right? In this village, in the middle of a country that is torn asunder by war, by holy war, right? <laughs> Essentially a religious conflict. And, but, but it's such a lens on this tiny community at the micro community of the women in this, in this village trying to hold everything together. I w- I found it I found it deeply moving and not at all as sad as I expected it to be. I think the marketing <laughs> kind of fails this movie because it's legit funny. Oh no, I think the marketing works because the marketing like I, I said last week like the trailer like it's very funny and it has the musical and everything but it's the images. Like, if you just look at images yeah. of the film, it's all of the women in their black outfits on their way to, uh, you know, bury another per- or to, to the cemetery to kind of like pay respects to the dead. And so it was like so dark, <laughs> like all of these images. I'm like, ooh, this is going to be a, a dour watch about all this. But like, yeah, the trailer and everything else. I mean, it really does kind of like have a very joyful feel, which I, I think was a big surprise for me too. Like, I just did not expect that out of this film based on looking at all those images. Yeah, I think that was that that's true. And I, I actually went in having not watched the trailer. Mm. Um, so all I had seen was, you know, and, and a lot of the stills, the the women in black stills are from the opening, the opening sequence. First five minutes of the film. And uh, it, it feels pretty dark. And yet I don't uh, I don't understand it. It feels like I'm peeking in uh, someplace that could very well be a cultural norm, but the whole slapping of their chests and dipping, doing the little dip and the sidestep in unison together is that is that is that that's like introducing us to the musical flair of the movie, right? Like that's not a thing. <laughs> no, you have I don't to learn know. how to do. I mean, I I can't speak to it because I I haven't been there before to Lebanon, but. Yeah, my sense is that that was purely uh, the film, Nadine Labaki, letting us know that, hey, this is going to be a musical. There's there's a magical, kind of a magical realist element to this as we have these sorts of moments. And this it became like this dance of mourning that this group of women were doing all in black as they were walking to the cemetery. And I just, I don't know, for me... Setting the film up that way, which was came out of nowhere, it was really unexpected. Because at first I was like, oh, "Okay, interesting." They're all walking in sync, but then it became so deliberate, and there was a beat, and there was the slapping of the chest mm-hmm. with the photos, and like everything. I'm like, "Oh, wow, okay, this is they're doing something else here," and it really, uh, I don't know, it just took me by surprise, and I really I, right away that kind of pulled me in. It is that that little bit of a tease. That introduces us to a world that is, it, it looks like, you know, a, a small Lebanese village, but really we're in some sort of a, 
some sort of a fantastical place, right? A place that is not that's just adjacent to to our our lived experience uh, of this of this war torn sort of countryside, and and I thought that was that was really touching. I think um, you know we I I just want to shout out that uh, Nadine Labaki also played uh, Amal, and she's just she's just terrific. Yeah, uh, I thought she was a terrific performer, and uh, I think this was uh, competently uh, directed. So, if it doesn't, uh, if it does, it isn't clear. I I really liked this movie quite a bit. I really, really did. Uh, and I think that it's it's handling of this outside perspective of uh, the the Christian and Muslim conflict as it is isolated in this village successfully to me made the men look appropriately stupid and the women look uh, just incredibly beautifully generous of their heart and spirit that they went to such lengths to, 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 to soften the men's experience uh, with each other it, because they didn't have to. And it was an exercise of grief and love to do it. And, you know, what purpose do the men really serve anyway? Right. Like there is there is such it's such an act of grace that they that they go to to these lengths to to save their village and save their their community that I thought it was really touching. Um, am I in line at all with your with your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I do think it's important to just clarify when we say it's just kind of a remote village. I mean, it's remote, but it's also isolated in a way where there are landmines all around. There's only a small bridge in or out that is a relatively safe way to kind of like cross over to the the more inhabited areas there. They have very little, uh, you know, signal like it was difficult in the beginning of the film to see, you know, they it took them some time to try getting the TV, a TV for the village finally set up so people could kind of see the outside world. But but largely it's it's Rokus and Nassim who are the two boys who every day they go out of the village uh, to sell stuff that people made and then to bring back other merchandise that gets sold in the stores there. Um, and so it's it, they've created – so the way that the story is designed, which I think – in, in kind of creating, it's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I want to call it a parable, parable, but it's it's a type of story where this group is incredibly isolated. They don't necessarily get the kind of what's happening in the outside world, all the conflict and strife going on in Lebanon between the Muslims and Christians. This group is relatively kind of, you know, dealing with themselves and 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 finding a way to get along largely because of their they're kept away from those outside influences most of the time but there there are still things that rise and that's that's where i think it gets interesting and that's what i think uh labaki and her writers her co-writers wanted to say here is like let's create this bubble and 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 you know see how we can figure out how to how to kind of create craft this world Without as many outside influences, because I think if, with, if the outside influences were coming all the time, I don't think you would be able to kind of tell the story as effectively, you know, because then you'd have constant Muslim and Christian fighting because of all the, those other outside influences. 
Does that make sense? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. They be, The isolation is what breeds the ridiculousness when we need it to be ridiculous. And in fact, no one inside, as much as they bicker and fight and, and you know, wrestle in the streets and steal each other's hats as a joke, like there is no other serious violence in the village. The violence comes from outside. Nassim is killed from the outside, not from the inside. And you know, clearly, I think the the women are protecting their village from the outside coming in, right? Keep they're hiding the news from the men. They're you know making sure that the the television doesn't work after a little while. <laughs> they're you know they're trying to do all kinds of of things to protect them from the ultimate violence of taking one another's lives over over you know religion and and. So they're they're doing it by, you know, hiding the things that they f- feel are, uh, you know, need to be hidden and showcasing the things that need to be demonstrated. Like when they all I, I get that at the end, they all just sort of swap, <laughs> swap yeah. religions, which, you know, you're living with the enemy now. What are you going to do? Right. What do you do? And it absolves everything. I thought that was I thought that was really touching. It, it was. And, and what I found so interesting and I think the reason that the film ended up kind of elevating even another notch for me was the very end of the film as they are finally burying Nassim and they get to the cemetery and all the men are carrying, you know, the body and then there's, you know, uh, the whole group behind and the men stop and they turn around and then they ask the the titular question, where do we go now? Like, which which side does do we take him to? And I couldn't help but think that's also a comment on the fact uh, on just the reality. It's like, you know, how like what is next? Is there a next or is it inevitable that they're going to eventually start fighting again? And they just they can't come to a decision to just be one. And I don't know, for me, that's the way I kind of took the ending. And it just, I don't know, I, I found it to be a little twist, kind of like a little bit of a darker reality that that we were glimpsing there. But I found it to be that much more powerful uh, looking at it that way. I don't know. Is that just me that read it that way? No, I, I don't think it's you that read it that way. I, I that's that's how I took it, too. And and um, yeah, that that sort of like we're we're changed as a result of the experience you know that's what we want out of our movies i thought that was a that was a great way to sort of demonstrate that but i thought it was a darker element too did you see any darker element there well because i was like because i mean yes they've changed but at the same time it's like is it going to last because it's like they they still can't come together at the end there they're like well i don't know like what's what's next and it just it just seemed very unsure like they just seemed like well i don't know i don't know I don't know what the next steps are here. Well, okay. No, then I disagree. Because I do think that there is some some sort of, of, I I like the confusion at the end, but I don't, it's not necessarily that I think there is, um, uh, Andy, you're really wicked. (laughs) Why do you you plant that? I can feel my brain adapting to that suggestion and I don't love it. What I, when I saw it, when I watched it, it was this like, okay, we're, we're new. We get, we have an opportunity to create something new of our village, of our sort of experience here. And, you know, I don't, I don't know where we go here. Somebody's going to make that call. So for me, it was somebody, probably the village women coming and saying, put him anywhere because it no longer matters. It no longer matters which side of the cemetery we put this body, right? He is a loved brother of the village. 
and son of the village and it nothing matters. And now you're saying it's not going to last because they don't know what they're doing. And that hurts my heart. I, I prefer <laughs> my way. I, I know. Absolutely I, I go straight to the graduate ending where it's like, yeah. oh, it's unsure. We're not getting yep. a clear it's ending. It's unsure. It's over. It's ending yep. on the question. Not clear. Must be bad. No way hope could spring from this. Uh, do you uh, do you think they were actually do you think they were actually uh, singing and dancing uh, and and the, or that it was uh, potentially a uh, shared group delusional fantasy? <laughs> well, I you know I mean there's what three musical numbers we've got. I mean if you count the open, which it's kind of it's setting us up for a musical. It's there's no singing, but it definitely has kind of a a dance vibe. We have the big number at the end with the yeah the cooking with- cooking the hashish biscuits. <laughs> And then, do you do you count the showgirl thing the next uh, that night? Like, do you count that as a separate musical number? Oh, uh, I mean, it's kind of was happening at the same time, uh, so it's kind of one sequence. Yeah, that that feels to me like a very real musical number in the thing. But I I am torn because Amal's fantasy that felt very joyous. Amal's fantasy sort of sequence when uh, she's watching him Robert. and the ladder swings and right. there it, it's a lovely little discretion was that was just in her head well both of their heads like i felt both amal and Robert were both um they were having mutual uh fantasies about the other because they both clearly were drawn um to each very other very much crushing yeah they were totally crushing on each other and so i i that that to me was a very much in your head musical moment um, whereas the other ones felt a little more present, uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed these moments. I thought they worked very well in context of where they were. And yeah, I mean, the, the question is, um, you know, and, and, you know, Ben in our forum is asking and, or made the comment, I wish there was a greater commitment to making this a musical, but I also don't know how musical numbers would play when it gets darker. Do we need more music to this or, or, just having these few moments is that enough i kind of i i kind of think i for me i felt like it was fine i didn't feel like it needed to be a full-blown musical throughout the whole piece did you or 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 did you no i i didn't i i i do get that point because there is a certain sort of walking the lineness of it where it 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 almost feels uncertain about whether or not it's a it, it's kind of a musical universe but for me i also was more in line that up until the big dance scene at the end that there was that, you know, this was not a community of singers, that this was more idealistic. This was more aspirational. This was more, you know, we're going to use song in the film to demonstrate who we the our attitudes of the world and not necessarily make it a full blown. We're going to tell narrative through song. I didn't need any more than that. I felt like it was just enough of a taste to lighten the mood of a film that could have been very dark. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, this is kind of the story about the conflict, this this kind of never-ending conflict between uh, religions and kind of these different mindsets that come with them, um, just about about each other's beliefs and how how dark it can turn and how malicious people within them can become. And what what I found interesting about the film was we have these things happen. Somebody let the goats into the temple. We don't ever really know who, you know, there are certain things that happen. Yeah. I guess we see the cross get broken. Like there are certain things that, that happen that we just don't see. And then they talk about them, 
but it's like clearly some people are doing some stuff maliciously, but I don't think it's ever to the point where we're going to start an all out war. But clearly that is what happens. I mean, there are, you know, people in these religious groups who do feel the need to, to take it out and, and turn it into a war. And, and I guess that's why looking at this story from the perspective of all the women in the villages, of all the mothers and all the wives and all the sisters and seeing all these people as people and not necessarily just defined by their religion, but saying, you know what, we can, let's find a way to you know live together in harmony instead of all this fighting just because of our ideologies. Uh, I, I felt like it was such a strong way to approach the story and the music for me was a huge benefit of that, of, of helping create, I mean, we already talked about kind of creating this bubble of an environment that we're in and the music also helped kind of create this space that we're in that the whole thing did have this magical realism type of feel to it. And I think that's why it enhances all of those elements and makes it work all the more for me. Yeah. And it, it, also highlights it's sort of a frivolity that highlights the the silliness of the in village frustrations between the men right i mean at no point did we get any sense that we were leading to you know somebody shooting archduke ferdinand like this was not the beginning <laughs> of world war 1 this was we stole a hat and we're just really mad at at uh, there, there's so much tension in the air that we're we're so mad that we could use any excuse. We're just looking for any excuse to fight. And the music absolves some of that tension in the narrative for us, I think, as as the audience to to soften to some of those other things that could be frustrating to watch, because when it matters. When it really counts that we feel strongly about something is is the death of Nassim that I have been taking not seriously heretofore. But at this point, I shall say it was a serious and moving moment for me when Nassim comes Nassim comes back um, when they come back on the on the motorcycle and Nassim is dead. And we have that experience of grief of the mother holding her her son in the gravel street and then having to say, we have to hide this. Yeah. We cannot tell Isam what has going what is going on here because if we do, he will get the guns and he will kill somebody. Yeah. That was right. excruciating. As a parent, as an audience member, it was excruciating. And and I thought a, a very powerful moment in the in the film, lowering the seam into the well. Oh. God, it's yeah. I mean, it's a very dark. Well, all of that was like, and it was very difficult to watch. Like when the uh, the mother forces her kid to come over and uh, apologize for having taken Nassim's hat, and like that whole scene where you know mom is terrified that they're going to discover what's actually going on, and you know tells everybody that he's got the mumps and makes them apologize through the door and says he can he is a sore throat he can't like you just it, it was nerve-wracking watching all of that stuff cuz you knew at some point somebody's going to figure it out and so you know being there with mom wanting to tell everybody what happened but she can't and so she has to kind of create this facade i mean that was incredibly difficult and then when her son does come home and does discover the truth then having to raise a gun to your own son and shoot him in the leg to stop him from doing the you know from going to war i mean 
wow, that mom had so many things that she had to go through over the course of, of the story. I mean, it was a really difficult journey for her. Well, and, and in the story that's ostensibly about war, where uh, where her son dies from a bullet, the only actual gunshot we see in the movie is the mother turning the gun on her own son. Yeah. Which, again, elevates the weight of what she, is, she believes ideologically she is protecting her village from erupting into something that could tear it completely apart. Right, right, right. That's how all wars are started, too, right? It's hats. <laughs> Besides Ferdinand, we've got that. It's somebody stole a hat. Somebody stole a hat. And it escalated. Or put a, put a goat in the temple. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, going back to the end, I, I was just looking at Wikipedia, and this they have this as the kind of the end of their plot. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe there is something here. Nassim's funeral then goes peacefully, and then the movie ends with the men looking to the women for direction. When I look at that, I'm like, okay. Oh, does that make you feel bad? You should feel bad. No, I, I, I do feel bad, but I also feel better about, like, the end of the film. Because as I look at that, I'm like, okay, this is what I think now. Now, as I think about it, I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I probably went to too dark a place with my version of the ending. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey, I still think that there's valid uh, points to to approach it from that way. But the fact that it is the men who turn to the women finally to get advice and to ask them what's next, I think that that's the growth that the men needed in the film. And you get to that end and the men say, where do we go now? And leaving it to the women. And I mean, sure, we don't get the actual response. And so that's where probably my own uh, issue is with that. But it is the men turning to the women to say what's next and, and asking for help figuring things out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're frustrated because it's uncertain, because the you don't hear the women say anything? I You, Andy, are frustrated with the uncertainty at the end of a I, movie? I know, right? I know. Who have I become, Pete? Do you even I'm hear not, this? I'm not frustrated. I'm just saying. You know you we're can, recording. You can it, right? read it in a number of different ways. And and I guess that's if if the if the, what she's trying to say is that the men are looking to the women for direction. Yes, I mean you get that. Okay, you're you're right. You don't need to hear the answer from the women. Mm. I my, I'm going through a lot of emotions right now. It feels like it feels like <laughs> you are. This is a real turmoil. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, wow. I you've you've made it better for me in so so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, it's it's a it's okay. a, it's a, it's strong, and and that's what I just I find it so interesting about the film that they're taking this gendered perspective of this topic, and they're they're basically saying the women are the ones who are able to get past this. Why can't the men? Why do the men have to keep turning to war every time there's a disagreement? And and that turn that the women take at the end. I mean, it's interesting to see. Like I never. Never knew where this film was going. And, and that I always love because it's exciting when I'm like, I don't know what's, what is going to happen next. And we get to that place where the men wake up from their hashish dazed, uh, <laughs> kind of drug biscuits that the wives cooked for them. And all the women are, are, have changed clothes. And they're basically saying, if you, if you want to fight, you have to go through me. And that to me, like that is the moment. Like it's just, it's such a powerful way to kind of spin this and, and to put a whole new perspective on that conflict that, uh, again, I just, I found really powerful. Hmm. I, I did too. I feel, I, I, 
yeah, I feel like the movie you it's it's dancing on this line of tone and uh and and it's a hard line to to walk. You know, leaving us in a sense of uncertainty is just a reminder that there are very real issues at work between the Christians and the Muslims hating each other. What works about this movie is that we're looking at it un- under uh, such a microscope that we don't actually get to see the broader conflict outside of this village. We just get hints of it, as you said, uh, the mines surrounding the village, the single road leading in and out that, that is like a, uh, you know, the, the, the careful uh, rails that you have to stay between, like all of those things. And and so it, it works for me that, you know, that she has taken that story and put it in such a small place to allow us to actually see in isolation the individuals that have to both live and choose to hate each other if they do that. So let me just turn our attention to from the the hints of comedy and fantasy in the movie to broad comedy, the actual exotic dancers that come to the men. Mm, yes. Does I mean, how just how well does that to what degree does that work for you? If if at all, like the that if you if you boil down, like as we take this movie and we peel apart all the layers of this particular onion, that it boils down to we can solve the world's problems uh, with a, a little sex and innuendo. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And I mean, there's an element of um, Lysistrata, I think, is the one right. The person who ended a war by denying sex. Yeah, I think so. There's an element of that here. It's it's interesting, and that's what I enjoyed about the film, is the women never knew what was going to work. They just kept trying things, right? It starts with a miracle. Mm-hmm. They start with creating a faux miracle that, uh, that the Virgin Mary is crying blood, and uh, the mayor's wife is having a vision of, of ending this conflict before it goes too far, which doesn't work. And so, yeah, then they hire this this group of um, exotic dancers to come pretend that their bus broke down just outside of town, and they have to stay here for a week while their bus gets fixed. It's interesting, and I guess in the in the realm of the story, it's creating temptation for the men just to take their mind off things. Um, I, I mean, there, it's an element that doesn't work as well for me. But I, I still think it was interesting. I, I enjoyed those elements within the story. That idea, I just don't think, ever quite worked quite as well as the ending for me. I, I like it because of the drug stuff. Like, the drug stuff make it funny, right? That, that this was the extent to which they have to go to actually get the men to see each other and then, you know, have this experience of a big party. Um it's an interesting thing because, you know, there's so many stories of, you know, the band gets lost in a small village. It's, um, you know, uh, Doc Hollywood kind of a story. It's, uh, you know, something happens. Uh, and, and we get to see mostly the story from the perspective of the village, which which I like. It, we don't ever really get enough of the, the even though the women are living there, uh, they, they aren't really used uh, enough. We have one scene where they're where one of them is sent in to to plant a a cassette recorder in the in the room yeah. so that they can they can start spying on the men mostly it's just like we see like their struggles in like 
this one can't sleep because she has to sleep on the floor. And so she unplugs the yeah, fridge. She unplugs the fridge. You know, so right. we see like those sorts of things, which is more about them and less about, you know, what they were brought for. And to that extent, it feels like much of the integration of the dancers in the community, it wasn't as effective for me as I, I felt like it could have been. And like, if we're going to do that, let's let's beef up the movie just a little bit and and tell a little bit more of a story or how let's find a way to use them in the community in a more effective way. Uh, I think that could also have been a distraction to the fact that the people who really are looking to save this movie are the women of the village and outsiders can't do it. Right. Ultimately, as I as I'm watching the men like eat their breads and get high, I kept thinking, why do we need the Ukrainian dancers anyway? Why do we need them at all? Can't can't this have just been about creating an atmosphere for the men to love each other again, to for the men to find an exercise in vulnerability? And that is if we're looking for places for the stars to fall for me, this is it that I don't think it was a useful enough story element to have these the the women come in and dance for these men. It is the place that makes the men look the worst. It makes them look most played in a movie where they're, you know, they clearly live at an emotional high, but they, they don't look quite as silly in the rest of the film as they do here, where they just completely let go. And and I, I found it sort of distasteful uh, and unnecessary. I guess for me, it was there. There were a couple things that I, I, I feel like I'm trying to remember if the trailer made it feel like this or if it's a line in the movie and I'm just forgetting it right now. But I felt like the women said, you don't get any sex from us until you stop all of this. And, and that might have been something that I remembered from the trailer. I can't remember. But basically, um, not letting the men have them while all of this other stuff was going on. And uh, so that was an element that for some reason is in my head, but I really honestly don't even remember a scene in the movie where they actually said that other than Amal basically kicking everybody out and shutting her own you know, potential relationship doors with Rabab because, yeah. uh, because he's just, you know, being a tool. And I mean, really, I mean, they really kind of, pretty permanently seemed to shut that door between the two of them over the course of the film. But I felt like if anything was going on with the dancers, it really was uh, more than anything, something that they could just use as a distraction for the men so that the men kind of stopped what they were doing and just had something else to focus on while the women figured things out. Like, that's kind of where I ended with it. Like, it, it wasn't perfect, but neither was the the pretend miracle from the Virgin Mary. And, the, I mean, these women had no idea. They were just throwing things at the wall, hoping one of these things would eventually stick. And and so, sure, it didn't end up necessarily working for them. But I I didn't find it to be a problem, per se, because it's like – because they didn't know. And they were just like, well, let's try this and see if if somehow we can use this to our advantage. So that's that's kind of how I read it. It it, it wasn't perfect. It, I did it didn't I didn't hate it, but yeah. Well, I don't uh, look. I don't remember that any of those lines either, and I yeah. haven't watched the trailer. So what what you're saying is to me a fantasy <laughs> because it didn't make it into the story, and I, that's that's my problem. It is a clumsy use of a tool that wasn't really a commitment, and they're not. I, I mean, I get it that that she probably didn't want to rewrite Lysistrata and do that again. But 
I just think it it it's one of those those situations where you can choose to go broad comedy or you can choose to kind of keep the movie kind of in world. And she chose broad comedy and it didn't work as well for me. I didn't feel like it was ever really quite broad comedy. I just felt like it was, uh, you know, it was fun and it was, it was just, you know, kind of a little bit of entertaining. But um, yeah, it was regardless, the the story element of it wasn't as strong as it could have been. Yeah, but but it, it is a story element that is ultimately super brief in in the movie and i don't have they're there any... for the whole film no no no. i'm I'm really talking about the big dance number at the end like when oh. they come in and start doing their dance like that that's the part that just felt like we already had a resolution and we're adding more to it and it felt like a hat on a hat like it, it, i already felt like i knew where it was going and i was i was okay with it i was happy with it and then we we added this dance number and i just couldn't by the end of it, I couldn't conceive of why it, it never answered the question. Why am I, why am I seeing this? It, it was fine. It was fine. It's, it's weird that that's the part that, that irks you because I just felt like that integrated well with the, you know, the musical of making all the other stuff. So none of that bugged me. Um, kind of at the end there it's just because they were there for so long like that's the element that was you know more perplexing for me because i'm like where you know what's the end game to have these women here for such a long period of time exactly and it wasn't worth it to me like it wasn't worth it to have that that end game of having the women there to do that dance to hire the women it was a pointless aside to me in the movie that's like why are they why do we have to keep dealing with these Ukrainian dancers? It, it it felt like there was enough movie without them. That's the th- that's ultimately the thing for me. They had all these great capers to distract the men, and I just felt like, okay, here, let's do this. the The violence I've already said the violence comes from outside the village. Isn't it a more interesting lesson if the resolution to to this? to the challenge of the strife comes from inside the village? Why do they need the outside sexy dancers to come in and show them what they really have? I, which was what? What is the point of that? I don't know what they really have. They were all high on ash. <laughs> just talking about it with you, just watching you defend th- that line makes me more of an antagonist to it. Which which line? The, of having the women there in the first place. Uh, I don't know. That's right. That's exactly right. You can't defend it. I don't even I, though I don't. they got <laughs> never mind. I, some of the jokes, they just write themselves and probably shouldn't. So I'm going to I'm going to stop talking. So anyway, that that was a challenge for me. But but ultimately, I really like the the way that this movie is, attempts to to solve, to create a village, a world where this is a group of people who is really striving to solve their own problems and not get involved in, you know, the broader conflict. It's a reminder of humanity. And that's what these mothers are trying to do. These mothers and sisters is to remind the men of the humanity that exists in the village. And um, and, and I thought that was was very powerful. Yeah, I think so. All right. I, as far as direction goes, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's. I mean, I know you haven't seen any. You're not a Labaki head. You haven't seen anything else. I'm not a Labuk. Yeah. By her as a filmmaker, um, and uh, I'm assuming you also haven't seen anything else that she has been in because I, I think she started as an actress before she went on to start directing. Yeah. No, I'm a first timer. Yeah. In context of how the film was directed. Was there anything that that uh, kind of struck you? 
I thought it was lovely. And I go back to that, to the flashback or to the, uh, the fantasy scene where she's, she's, um, lusting over Rubber and they're dancing on the ladder and stuff. I thought that was really lovely and cutting in all those shots of the ladder swinging. Uh, it really, it was a, such a visual candy, uh, that, that, tossed my brain in new directions that I thought was was really fun. The the comedy, the way she shoots the village, the way she shoots compressed spaces, I think we get a real high point in that final musical number where they're cooking. Um, you know, it is it is luscious treatment of breads and doughs and natch hashish. And so I, I really loved it. And like you, I mean, I, I know you've seen more than I have, but like you, I want to see more of what she does. Uh, because I think she is, uh, I think she has a, a wonderful eye. I enjoyed being in this world sort of through her eye. Well, paired with uh, Christoph Offenstein was the cinematographer on the film. Uh, they they did bring that magical feel to it. Like when the scene you were talking about, the musical between Amal and Rabat in the in Amal's shop. It, what I, I loved about that is, I mean, Rabat is there to uh, kind of do uh, work on the walls and he's sanding down the walls to kind of clean them up. And I'm assuming he's going to repaint them at some point. Uh, but what I love about that is as he's sanding, it's creating that kind of like that white dust in the air, which then they were able to use in, in kind of the musical element of it, because it kind of created that softer look and you kind of have that. It almost was like this, like dreamy feel to it. And so I really love the way that they found those elements. Same thing when they're cooking, you kind of got those little puffs of flour and everything. And so it was nice to to find ways to use those elements to their advantage uh, with the lighting and everything else to kind of give it that real beautiful glow. And one of my uh, favorite moments in the film was when all of the women are with all of the Ukrainian uh, dancers and they're all what looks like by the waterfront. And they're kind of sitting there. They've got their umbrellas. All these Ukrainian women have these really colorful uh, bathing suits on. And they're all just sitting there uh, by the water. And they're just relaxing and enjoying themselves. And then you realize, I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's a lake nearby. Like, where are they? And then you realize it's just like a hole in the ground that the men must have <laughs> dug at some point. And you just see all the men and the boys and everyone just like bringing buckets of water to put in here just so these women can have a place where they can uh, relax and and have some comfort. And I found that so funny. Uh, but I also loved the way that it was constructed with the colors and and mm-hmm. you're initially getting it from a very, you know, straight on perspective. So you don't see all of the reality of it. And it really did kind of paint a much more magical place. And so I loved those little uh, things that the way that she played with that, it just, it worked in context of continuing this magical realist world that she was crafting here. But we can't forget, if you're going to do the setup to the joke, we have to talk about the punchline, which is that the women all got horrifically sunburned. And I was in stitches because that is that example of grounding the magical realism, grounding the lengths to which the men went to to make sure that they could sort of have a vacation in their little village. And ultimately, they paid they paid the uh, they played that played the dermatological price. The Ukrainian dancers, <laughs> not the, the yes, women in the village, right. were because smart all the enough. other women were dressed. Yeah, yeah, they were smart about it. Yeah, yeah. it was really great. Yeah, it really, was really fun. great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, so I enjoyed all of that, and then Khaled Muzanar did the music, and that's uh, Nadine Labaki's husband. And again, 
just building in to kind of create something that where all of a sudden it just feels like, oh, they could just fall into song here and it would feel natural. Like it worked. It, it really felt very natural the way that all of this was built together to create this little bubble of a world that we're in. Oh, oh, uh, scene, another good scene. Good scene alert. Good scene flag. Uh, when Nassine's mom, so we've already had the setup where they've, they've made the, the, uh, they've set up the miracle, right? Of the crying, uh, mother, uh, Virgin Mary, right? Yes. In the church. Okay. And then we come back and Nassim's mom goes in and steps up to the Virgin Mary and says, come down from there. And it's like picking a fight with her. Mm. And. Uh, I thought that was such an incredible sequence for so many reasons, not the least of which she's dressed like the Virgin Mary, like they are they are a mirror image of each other as she is sort of cursing her, asking her down, taunting her. And then I think, am I am I right that the the statue was crying? Yeah, she when was, she walked away, she was crying blood. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. That that was I, I thought again in the spirit of of fantastical realism, uh, that was a a real high point for me that scene, and I think Nassim's mother was um, was particularly uh, well suited to uh, to play that role. She was she was great, very yeah. powerful. This was an interesting location too. I guess they filmed this in a town in uh, Lebanon called uh, Tebe, uh and ba- specifically because. This town contains a church next to a mosque. And that was very important in kind of the context of this story is kind of having that bifurcated feel as often as possible. And that's something like right at the beginning, as you're hearing this wonderful opening monologue, you get an an opening and closing monologue, which also both feel very much um, lyrical, the way that they're written. It's kind of like a rhymy poem sort of thing, uh, which I really enjoyed the way that that unfolded like it felt so much like a divided town like you would see in like an animated film or something like you've got the left half is one and the right half is another and the film just defined that so well like at the beginning you see the church on the left and the mosque on the right and it's very split and at the cemetery, it's the same thing. It's like every the, the all the Christians are buried on the left, and all the Muslims are buried on the right. And I like, I just I loved that divided feel. And again, like these are the things that, in context of the way that she was building this world, it works to define this story. And so I I felt all of that just like it was it was so designed. That it just like every little piece like that just just helped uh, kind of craft this this world. So it was I, I don't know. I, it just it worked exceptionally for me. All of these elements. So you're a fan is what you're saying. I was I guess I'm a Lubaki. Where are the quibbles? Where are the quibbles? I have as I, I said, I, I, I predicted that there would be quibbles. Well, I just I had some quibbles with yeah. uh, the women uh, or the, with the Ukrainian dancers because i i wasn't completely clear why they were there for so long mm-hmm. um Good. but it was you know it wasn't a huge issue i still felt like it was it was all right um i i i, I guess i would say i i can't decide if i really wanted there to be i kind of feel like i did want there to be because of this musical element some form of a more romantic resolution between Amal and Rabat. 
Like I, I liked those characters at the beginning and I wanted to feel like it was going to grow into something at the end. And I don't feel like we ever quite got that. And I'm not sure if I'm meant to care about that or, or what did you, did that, does that bother you at all? Or it's funny. It, it didn't until you said it like it, then you just brought it up. And now what I, what I imagined was a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan resolution. And I don't think we were going to get that. I don't think that was ultimately the story. So, but I mean, th- but we have this romantic song between the two of them. They're clearly drawn yeah. to each other, even though as, you know, people, they are on opposite sides of this religious divide in the town. Right. And, um, and so that was kind of an interesting element to bring up. And, and they never use it in the story as a form of resolution, but you don't see that doesn't seem to bother you. No, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But uh, honestly, is it telling that I didn't catch it? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Like I, I didn't catch it at all. And and it's you're right. They invested a lot. They gave a beautiful scene and a song yeah. to these people as a couple. And there's there is no payoff. The only payoff is it just gets worse and worse and worse. Is my recollection does <laughs> because at some point they they pretty much uh, kind of force Rabat to take in. Uh, one of the dancers even at that time there is still you know sharp words going back and forth between the two of them about uh, as they're doing this translation bit between Mm -hmm. you know she won't make you breakfast i i won't eat anything that she cooks me or whatever you know that whole little bit but i feel like was that the last thing is there something else between the two of them no i think that was the last thing and i sort of walked away from that like that little translation bit i don't know if it translated well for me because I came away from that entire experience thinking, I don't think he's changed at all. I don't think he understands what what opportunity he's missing. Yeah, right. Like, I think he's using, like, I think he's saying things that she might be taking as innuendo somehow or, or like, mistaking the actual words that he's saying when really he means what he's saying right now. Yeah. And it's not great. And I, I imagine there is some sort of cultural interpretation that I'm missing, but he seems like by the end of that sequence, I walk away thinking he's an ass. Yeah. I'm glad she is absolved of him. And maybe that's why I didn't think about the the romantic resolution. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but, I mean, that's certainly an element that I, I I would love to hear some some commentary or something from Labaki about the decisions there, because it did feel like a big story element, especially in this magical, realist, musical story setting with a potential love song between the two of them that gets completely kiboshed by the time we get to the end. Yeah. Like, what was the what was the uh, decision uh, going down that road instead of yes. finding a way to use that? Because, again, that could have been a story element that was used to bring the two sides together. But it wasn't. Yeah. But it didn't. That's interesting. And I think maybe that's the that would have been an easy route because romance always brings people together. I think where they went with the the drugs and the sexy dancing and swapping religions at the end, maybe ultimately is more interesting and more of a surprise than hanging your hat on romantic resolution of one couple that brings a village together. Drugs, sexy dancing and religion swapping. I tell you, that's that's. Yeah clearly what the world needs more of (laughs) (laughs) what the world okay uh we need to wrap this up (laughs) all right all right uh we will be right back everybody but first our credits The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Itai Arman. Oriel Novella. 
and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. How to do it awards season, Andrew? Uh, it, it wasn't a huge award film, not like Capernaum was a few years later. This film had nine wins with five other nominations. At Cannes, it did it did receive the uh, Francois Chalet Award. Am I saying that right? Francois Chalet. Um, this is uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Labaki received this. It was created to pay tribute to the French journalist and film historian Francois Chalet. And uh, it is given to uh, films dedicated to the values of life affirmation and of journalism and highlights the presence of journalists at Khan itself. So it's in, in the value of life affirmation. That is the reason that this film received that award. Also, it uh, received a um, at the special mention at the prize of the ecumenical jury. I don't Con has so many things like what are they all just, of these things? It's just a it's a, it's a real dumpster fire of awards. I tell you, the prize of the, make stuff up. <laughs> the prize of the ecumenical jury. It's an independent film award for feature length films shown at major international film festivals since 73 created by Christian filmmakers, film critics and other film professionals. The objective is to honor works of artistic quality, which witnesses the power of film to reveal the mysterious depths of human beings through what concerns them, their hurts and failings, as well as their hopes. Wow. That's a go. lot for a, a description. <laughs> That's what the prize of the ecumenical jury. They won a special mention and had this to say. The women of a small isolated village are ready to do anything to preserve peace between the two communities that are living there together. With much delicacy, Nadine Labaki succeeds in offering a poetic tale balancing carefully between comedy and tragedy, provoking an emotion that is turned toward hope. Last but not least, it was nominated for Un Certain Regard, which again is a uh, best first or second feature film, and uh, Labaki lost this. It was the tie between Ararong and Stopped on the Track, which we talked about with one of our others in this particular series. At TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, the film won the People's Choice Award, and at the Stockholm Film Festival, the film was won the Bronze Horse for Best Script, uh, which, and uh, this, I love that they do this. They have the motivation of the jury for these awards. The jury said, in an unsentimental way, this film is able to engage us in the fate of these characters and the consequences of living with differences. The story makes us laugh, cry, and in a humorous way, ask ourselves, would war exist if women ruled the world? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> also, it won the bronze horse for best music. And the jury had this to say, like the film itself, the strength of the score lies in its ability to combine entertainment with content, accessibility with questioning, and drama with musical. And last but not least, it was nominated for Best Film, but it lost to Oslo August 31st, which um, that's, that is a gut punch of a movie, let me tell you. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, how did it do at the box office? Did the, did the numbers make up for its loss in awards? Well, Labaki did have a budget of four and a half million euros or six and a half million dollars, which is about seven point six million in today's dollars. 
Like so many movies in this particular series, this movie premiered at Cannes, and then it continued its festival run, opening in its home country of Lebanon September 22nd, 2011. It finally opened in the U.S. on May 11th, 2012, opposite Dark Shadows and The Dictator. The movie did not do much business domestically, earning only about 532000 but internationally it did really well for itself, becoming the highest-grossing Lebanese film until Labaki's next film, Capernaum, bumped it. It earned just over $20 million internationally for a total gross in today's dollars of $23.9 million, and that lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $148,000. Well, that's something. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's in the positive on the app from. <laughs> it is. She's quite the uh, quite the successful filmmaker out of, coming out of Lebanon, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Well, she's wonderful. I really enjoyed the movie. So glad it was on the list. And, uh, you know, we've had some dark movies. This is a movie about a dark subject that actually turns out to be a fairly light movie. And uh, um, I, I I like it that it was a, a thinker about some tough stuff, but under a, enough of a lens that um, that it didn't get mired in its own darkness. No, it was a real surprise. I, I just yeah. really did not know what to expect. And I had a great time with it. So I'm very glad that this was on our list. And certainly I want to go back and see uh, Labaki's first film, Caramel, which came out in 2007, just to kind of, you mm-hmm. know, complete my uh, Labaki head fandom. Oh, yeah, you should, you absolutely need to do that. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back for our ratings. But first, uh, we got the trailer for our next week's movie. What are we talking about? Uh, next week, we're going to talk about Zendagi Namalegi Dobara, which will be the first Bollywood film that we will have discussed on the show. Hey, 
ऐसी बॉयज ट्रिप पे जाना चाहोगे Okay, we got to talk about Letterboxd. Mm. Where How, do we go? Where do we go on this one? Yeah, where do we go now on our Letterboxd? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just got to put this out there. Do you think that the women would have been successful if they just got all the men to just start using Letterboxd? Possibly. The, the men, is Letterboxd they, That's the what the men needed as an outlet. They needed an outlet. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't have it. Yeah. And and that, you know. They could have rated that they would, movie there would that be they were watching. Less, less violence in the world if men were on Letterboxd. More men were on Letterboxd. It's funny. <laughs> oh, my. I, okay. So how are you doing it? Um, uh, I, I, I really don't have many quibbles with this film. It didn't quite suck me in as much as I wanted it to. But the end just stuck with me so successfully, like regardless of which version I'm reading, because apparently I can I'm seeing like five different ways that the movie ended in my head and they all work well. And so I really enjoy that. Uh, It wasn't 100 percent like five star for me, but I feel like four stars and a heart. I I feel really good about with this film. And it just it's a film that. I don't think it's going to disappear from my head quickly. Like there's, there's so many little moments in this film that just, uh, just had magic. And so I, I, I was really drawn to it. So four stars and a heart. Yeah. I, I think my real conflict is in with the, uh, the, um, the sexy dancing ladies and just how much of a star, uh, loss does that give me? Because overall the, the feeling of the film was fantastic and, and, um, I, I really enjoyed my experience with it. Uh, it was fun. It was exactly the kind of vibe that, that, um, you know, what are some of that, like, like a good Audrey Tutu movie gives me, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like it's just that sense of, of, of fun, even the, even if it's dealing with some darkness. I, I, could it be a four and a half star movie for me? There's definitely a heart. But is it four or four and a half? I'm going to I think I'm going to feel the wave of optimism, Andy, and I'm going to go four and a half stars. Wow. Look at you. Four and a half and a heart. That's great. Yep. I I mean, I'm really happy that this film landed on our list. I did not know about this. um, And and so I was just I was thrilled to just discover this film. It it felt like, um, you know, just a fresh, a fresh voice with uh, a point. And I really enjoyed uh, the chance to kind of talk about this film and and think about it. It's it's a it's a unique one. So, what did you think about uh, where do we go now? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel on Discord. We'll be talking about the movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. Okay, you went with the international international route. I did. I'm very excited about that. I feel like you should go first as a result. Well, I ended up with Asya's review uh, from earlier this year, and Asya had this to say. She She's uh, Turkish and said, Settled in my heart like a stone. Oof, I like that start. An all-around excellent movie. It is both very enjoyable and one of the most painful things I have ever seen in my life. Jokes, dances, music, women are always beautiful, deaths, screams, loneliness, 
breaks the heart. Oof. There you mm. go. Yeah. That's that's poetry. Got some stuff going on right in there. there. Yeah. So much. I uh I mine is is from the good Jonathan White, a a kind uh reviewer from Ontario, Canada, who writes and I don't this isn't going to play well on a podcast, so I'll have to return and do some spelling later. A catch-up review for a film I relished. Things were busy just after I watched this 2011 TIFF Surprise People's Choice winner last week. It's a lovely Lebanese story of differences and commonalities in a tiny community composed of Muslims and Christians. I really wish I'd made better notes about this one. It's both wonderful and flawed, but my strongest remembrance is that director, co-writer, co-star Nadine Labaki is a director to watch. Although it's uh, it's from seven years ago, this review was written in 2018, the message it delivers couldn't be more timely. Highly recommended. A catch-up review for a <laughs> film I relished. Probably don't even need to spell it if I lean in on it like that. Yeah. Catch-up and relish. Jonathan, you're delightful. Very peculiar. Very peculiar. Uh, but I Thanks, do enjoy Andrew. it. Yes. I do, too. I relish it, too. I catch up it. <laughs> Thanks, Letterboxd. <laughs> Make ketchup funny again, Andy. New hats. <laughs> when was ketchup not funny, Pete? When was ketchup? It's the funniest condiment. <laughs> That's what they say. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world... Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>